Grace and peace to you, beloved. Man. Let's try it again. Grace and peace to you, beloved. Thanks. Thank you, Stuart, for transitioning us in this way. I am Amy Wilson Phelps. In case you haven't met me yet, I am the pastor here at Morningstar. Delighted to be so and really excited to be with you this morning as we are beginning a new sermon series. It's called Practicing Life. And we're going to talk about what that means as we move into this first message. So I encourage you to follow me in our scripture reading, which comes from the Old Testament book of Lamentations, which I'm sure is your favorite book, and you read it often. We'll be reading three verses from chapter three. Lamentations chapter three, verses 22 through 24. Here now, the word of God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It was about 16 years ago, almost to the day, that I attended a new student orientation at the seminary where I earned my Master of Divinity. And I still remember pieces of those conversations, including where to find the bathroom in the chapel. We don't talk about this often, but that's one of the first things that we try to determine when we walk into a new building because we don't want to be awkward about asking, so we want to know where the facilities are. We look for the signs. We want to know where the bathrooms are. So I remember that moment in this beautiful chapel in a gorgeous campus in central New Jersey. One of my professors said, if you're wondering where the bathrooms are, you won't find them on the main floor. They're in the basement. We all looked at him quizzically and he said, well, we are good Protestant Christians. After all, we prefer to hide our humanity. We prefer to hide our humanity. It's a daunting prospect, really. It's doomed to fail from the beginning because we cannot escape our bodies in this life. Try as we might. We are reminded of the limitations of our bodies daily, often, every time our stomachs growl, every time we're required to locate the bathrooms, even as we wake up each morning to face the day. It's so easy to review, to view these requirements for living as inconveniences. Be honest, how many of you groan when the alarm clock goes off in the morning? How many of you pull the covers over your head for just a few more minutes when you feel the sunlight? How many of you grumble when your bodies ache? You're not alone. 
In our waking moments, it's so easy to overlook the mercies of God, which are new every morning, every morning. So I'm going to take a moment to pause here and let you know that at Morningstar, as we are getting our growth groups off the ground this fall, we are making sure that you have available to you sermon notes, the sermon outline, growth group questions. They're all available on the mobile app and on the website. They were even in your email this week in case you missed it. So today I might reference here and there pieces where you could be taking notes if you're following along in that way. And if you're not, No worries, but we want to be sure that you know that these resources are available to you. In our waking moments, then, it is so easy to overlook the mercies of God, to overlook, that's that first word in your sermon notes, the mercies of God, which are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, we like to sing, but not before our first cup of coffee. Great is your faithfulness. Well, we find this phrase in the book of Lamentations in our Old Testament, surrounded by thoughts of bitterness from the human experience. I don't know how often or how recently you have read the book of Lamentations, but it's a very interesting piece of our holy text. There are so many voices that are shared in this book. There's a narrator. There's the city of Jerusalem personified herself. And then there's this voice that we're hearing today. It's the voice of a captive, a prisoner, someone who was taken from his home during the exile, during the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the temple in 587 before the common era. He speaks in other verses around these that we read this morning of the suffering of himself and of his people. He talks about it as bitterness, as being as bitter as the taste of gall or bile, that brownish, greenish fluid produced in our livers and stored in our gallbladders. How is that for humanity? Yes, yes, disgusting, Seth. Absolutely, it is. He's painting it that way, Seth, for a reason, because he is thinking about the affliction and the pain, the wandering, the feeling of belonging nowhere because his home has been destroyed. He's feeling trapped in his suffering, so he laments the situation. Laments are something that we have talked about here at Morningstar. They are expressions of deep grief. In the Hebrew tradition, they're often used to express grief and sorrow over the death of a loved one or over the remembrance of a national tragedy. Laments are expressions of deep grief. The book of Lamentations is not the only place in the Bible where we find those laments, but Lamentations does contain five poems of mourning specifically about the destruction of Jerusalem. And these poems are written as acrostics. So we're going to have to go back to our English lessons from many years ago. Do you remember what acrostics are? It's a type of poem where the first letter of the first word of each line spells a word or a phrase. These are acrostic poems that my oldest children wrote last year. I don't expect you to be able to read those, but these poems, they tell the stories of princesses and dinosaurs and magic apples. But the first letter, the first word of each line spells the children's names. 
Natalie in the pink and Augustus in the red. Well, in the case of Lamentations, the first letter of the first word in each line is a letter of the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, in order. The idea is that the suffering, the trauma of the people is so total, so complete, it's from A to Z, as we would say in English. Their suffering is from A to Z. And while we certainly have plenty of reasons to grieve the state of the world in which we live this this moment, these days, most of us can identify first with the concept of lament in the feelings of being trapped or betrayed in our human bodies, especially as we age. And this is not our fault, really. This is something that we have been taught Not by Jesus, of course, but from that other great teacher, Plato. I did say Plato. That Greek philosopher who lived a few hundred years before Jesus did. And you may be thinking, I don't remember that book in my Bible. I don't remember that name from my holy text. And you are correct. Plato is not the author of any of our biblical texts, but he was the founder of the first institution of higher learning. And his school of thought has far-reaching effects, especially when it comes to the relationship between the body and the soul, the soul being that spiritual part of us that we regard as being immortal. And I'm not the first one to make this connection by any means. Do you all know who Richard Rohr is? He's a Franciscan priest. He's the founder of the Center for Action and Contemplation down the road in Albuquerque. He has said that for Plato, the body and the soul were incompatible enemies. They were at deep odds with each other. The body and the soul for Plato were incompatible enemies. And for thousands of years, this philosophy has influenced our view of the human body, even in our faith, even in our faith traditions, as we have relegated our daily needs to the basement. We have considered our daily tasks of caring for our body as obstacles to be endured, as injustices to be processed until we can move on to the things that we value much more, like productivity and achievement and even entertainment. Friends, our 24-7 busyness has become our liturgy. Our 24-7 busyness has become our liturgy. Liturgy is a word that we know here at Morningstar. We use it to describe our orders of service, the, the work of the people on Sunday morning. But liturgy is the work of the people all of the time. And these days, much of our work has nothing to do with faith or the church because we've bought into this false separation between our bodies and our souls. But it doesn't have to be this way. That's the premise behind our six-week sermon series, Practicing Life, Connecting with God in Daily Tasks, which we are launching right now, this morning. Our series was inspired in part by this book, Liturgy of the Ordinary. Some of us are reading this book together and discussing it along with our biblical text on Wednesday night. But this concept is found first in our holy text with verses as simple as, and profound as the ones that we read this morning. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, O God, in the midst of our suffering. Great is your faithfulness as we rise each morning with the sun. Great is your faithfulness as we experience your mercies anew. Great is your faithfulness with every deep breath, with every creak in our bones, with every groggy thought. Great is your faithfulness to us, body and soul. Maybe Plato didn't understand this, but Jesus did. Father Richard Rohr says it this way, for Jesus, there was no animosity between the body and the soul. In fact, this is the heart of Jesus' healing message and of his incarnation itself. Jesus, in whom the word became flesh, was fully human, even as he was fully divine, with body and spirit operating as one. Jesus even returned to the flesh after the resurrection, Richard Rohr reminds us. So flesh cannot be bad as it is the ongoing hiding place of God. The ongoing hiding place of God. So that makes the concept of hiding our humanity even more preposterous, doesn't it? Because when we hide, God hides with us, not in spite of our human bodies but within our whole selves. And this is good news because it is in our bodies, in caring for our bodies, that we experience God's new mercies. We can't fully experience the faithfulness of God on this earth apart from our humanity. That doesn't mean we're always happy with our bodies. It it means that when we're struggling with the limitation of our humanity, we can be reminded of the connection that we have and the dependence that we have on our God. God chose to enter the world in a human body, after all. And this was not in an oversized, muscle-bound, 0% fat body. The body of an infant, vulnerable to the elements dependent on others for survival, 100% needy. That's the incarnation. We talk about it most often at Christmas time. Jesus coming into the world as a baby. Technically speaking, it describes a person who embodies a spirit, and it certainly applies to Jesus, the Word made flesh. We read that in chapter one of John, the Gospel of John. Incarnation is a dwelling of a spirit or a soul inside a body. Jesus' physical body plays an important role in our understanding of his experience on earth, not just in his birth. He worked with his hands as a carpenter. He ate fish and bread and drank wine with his friends. He cried. He slept. He walked many miles. He walked away from people when he needed rest and time to pray. I'm sure he even asked for directions to the bathroom every now and then. And when his body was crucified, it perished. The point is, beloved, Jesus didn't live above his body. He lived in it. Jesus did not ignore or neglect his body. He cared for it. Jesus did not push his body beyond its limits. He respected it. 
Jesus did not hide his humanity. He embraced it. And in doing so, he showed us that his incarnation, the embodiment of the Spirit of God, was about much more than being born as a baby. It was about living as a human being and connecting with God in daily tasks in a way that enabled him to connect with others. Now here at Morningstar, we believe that we grow in our relationship with God as we grow in our relationship with each other. That's why we emphasize small groups. It's why we emphasize growth groups. It's why we emphasize studying the Bible together. We have many Bible studies from which to choose this fall. Certainly, it's important for us to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of our holy text. The Bible is central to our teaching here. Absolutely, we'll find it in every sermon and every study that we share together. But one way to grow in our understanding of that text is to share our experiences and how we're applying it in our everyday lives. Isn't it a gift to know when we're struggling that other people struggle in the same way that we do? That we have much more in common with each other as human beings than we could ever have in the things that we allow to divide us? Beloved, we have so much in common as human beings because we are all human. And this plays out scientifically. And that my DNA is 99.9% the same as yours, as each of yours. Certainly, we are coded uniquely with millions of differences in our genetic sequencing. But the basic makeup of our genetic materials is almost 100% the same. We have so much in common. And that plays out even more in our daily living, in our basic needs, in our routine experiences. We need oxygen to survive, so we breathe in and we breathe out. We need hydration and nourishment to thrive, and so we eat and we drink. We need rejuvenation, and so we sleep. So what I'm saying is that, yes, we have some commonality in the fact that we each have a human body, but we have even more commonality in the way that we use these bodies in our limitations and in our needs and the time that we spend in caring for these needs. And the more awareness we create in the midst of those tasks, the more that we engage intentionally in the care of our bodies, the healthier our souls will be. And the healthier our souls become, the more easily we connect with other people. In times of celebration and in times of lament, as we live incarnationally, we learn to live that way as we follow Jesus. And I'm not saying that this is easy. I resonate with the impulse to hide our humanity. There's a reason that Plato's teachings have been so popular from the moment that he shared them, and they continue to influence our understanding of ourselves, even in the church. But, beloved, he got this part wrong. Our bodies and our souls are not enemies. They are one Our bodies and our souls are one because we are one. We are whole, integrated people. And when we forget that, when we're cursing our bodies because we need more sleep or we're craving more caffeine or we don't move as quickly or as easily as we once did, all we have to do is look at the sunrise 
or the stars in the sky, as we talked about last week. And we can be reminded, great is your steadfast love, O God. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Beloved, I don't know about your attitude toward your own body. I don't know really about the health of your souls as individuals. I don't know if you're an early riser like I am or a night owl like my husband Jason. I don't know if you throw your blankets over your head for just a few more minutes of sleep like my six-year-old daughter Natalie or if you bounce out of bed ready to go wide-eyed like my son Augie who is five I don't know if you sit in quiet meditation before you allow your feet to hit the floor or if you reach for your phone to scroll through the day's news or the latest social media notifications. I don't know if you're living in a season of lament or celebration or somewhere in between. But I do know that every 24 hours or so, we each have the opportunity to face the day and everything that lies ahead for us. So our invitation for this week is to examine our waking moments. What is your first thought? What's your first impulse? Do you find God's mercies in them? What is your first thought? What is your first impulse? And do you find God's mercies in them? Beloved, God's mercies are new every morning, whether we recognize it or not. Every morning. This is a truth that we have been created to discover and rediscover every time we wake from sleep. So my prayer for us all is that we would take some time to experience our waking moments as holy moments for our bodies and for our souls. And it's in this connection with our whole selves and the steadfast love of God, that our routine tasks of facing the day become part of our daily worship. Amen? Amen.